Welcome to episode 161 of the No Presidium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles. And as always, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Meow Wolf in Santa Fe, New Mexico. This week on the show, KJ Nice and Sarah Beal, they are part of... Well, how do how do I describe KJ and Sarah? So, okay, for starters, uh, yes, they're a couple. Uh, for those those are curious, everyone likes you biographical details. Uh, I first yeah, I first got to know them um, as part of Ingenious VR, uh, making three sixty videos that were crossing over into live experiences. They've continued to do that work. They've also got uh, career tracks going on in two different places. KJ is an experienced producer. He's working with Giant Spoon these days. Sarah is a multimedia writer and experienced designer, and she's working with Thinkwell. I believe we explain what those are in the show, just in case uh, Giant Spoon does a bunch of experiential uh, pop-ups, marketing. Uh, they were the producers on South by Southwest World this year, also uh, the the lead uh, producing team on uh, The Ink Hole, which just happened, and which we have a review of up at the site. And Thinkwell are theme park designers. Uh, they just opened uh, the... Uh, Warner Brothers theme park uh, out in the Middle East. So, you know, just 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 companies whose work you might be vaguely familiar with. All right. But KJ and Sarah also do a lot of indie work. And uh, for the record, to be absolutely clear, KJ does write for NoPro on occasion. Uh, yeah, we have creators writing for us. Why? Because uh, this is still a nascent uh, budding art form, and it's great to have people who know the stuff uh, talk about the stuff, and KJ is one of those people. So just absolute transparency there. Let's do a couple of things. Uh, let's talk about Patreon real quick. I want to thank our latest Patreon backers, Jim Fishwick. Uh, did I say Wook? Jim Fishwick. Yes, I know how to read. I just don't do it right. Uh, Shvana Laughlin and Amanda Wilson, uh, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we're just five people away. We had someone pull out this week. Hey, it happens. We're just five people away from the 175 uh, backer number, and I really, 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 really want to get us to that. Um, please, um, standard issue appeal. If you find the stuff we do, and we do a lot, valuable, uh, the podcast, the newsletters, everything immersive, the website. And and it's great. We're getting a traffic spike. There's a lot more people reading the stuff. We need your support. Meow Wolf helps us out, but we are about halfway to the point where we can just be doing this full time. And there is about three people's worth of work these days. So please, 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 please. A dollar a month on the Patreon makes a world of difference. If everyone who was regular did that, we would be in really good shape. Um, and indeed, it's a lot easier to ask everyone just that dollar, five bucks if you want to like really go in. Uh, because, uh, if, you know, when people have to pull out for whatever reason, it's, it's a lot easier to lose, you know, a couple of people at a dollar a month than it is to lose someone who's, you know, coming in a little heavier. So please uh, think about it. 
All right. It's like less than less than a latte if you live in Los Angeles. And a lot of you do. Okay. But not everyone drinks lattes. What's wrong with you guys? No, I'm kidding. Uh, cold brew. Anything about a cold brew or a beer. All right. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. And as always, our sustaining backers are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you all, gentlemen, for continuing to support the show. And thank you, everyone at Meow Wolf. Uh, more soon from them. Hey, there's a lot of good stuff on the site this week. Uh, we just put up a review of Bedroom Play uh, from Kate Lane here in Los Angeles. Also, in L.A., we've got a review of The Vow, the aforementioned review of The Ink Hole, uh, which did get an extension. Uh, it's closing this weekend, so it's your last chance. I think it's all sold out, but, like, you know, go on to Everything Immersive and be like, is anyone got a spare slot? I want to go. And rumor has it that if you show up early enough, they might be able to get you in, but it is definitely a hot ticket. Um... We also, in New York, uh, we've got a review of Heydays, so you might want to check that out. And a review, uh, one I haven't mentioned yet, uh, a review of The Bunker, uh, which has also been getting reviews from Room Escape Artist and from uh, ARGN, uh, all of which uh, they all played together. So Catherine uh, from us and Michael from ARGN and David and Lisa of Room Escape Artist, they all played together. So... There's like three reviews of the exact same experience out there right now, and I encourage you to compare and contrast because they're our friends, and we want you checking out their stuff. Uh, also, our friends at My Haunt Life did a review of The Vow this week. I encourage you to go check that out. So look at that. Uh, everyone all around, uh, the great big community we have, and you will be able to find links to a lot of that stuff at Everything Immersive this week uh, when that post gets pulled together either today or over the week. And mine's mental notes and Catherine's some links. Okay, there we go. That's what's on the site. And now, without further ado, KJ Nice and Sarah Beal, and and I guess me doing doing the interviewing. All right, here we go. <laughs> You're having a busy summer, I would say. Yeah. Right? So you've been, KJ, you've been working on Activations. Sarah, you were working on Cuckoo's Nest. You both uh, were working on a piece that was in the Hollywood Fringe. I mean, mm-hmm. you've sort of been like all over the place. So um, I guess we're going to start with uh, what you did over your summer vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so start us... Sarah, could you start us at the at the fringe? What was the thing you guys did at the sure. fringe? Because you you worked on that, and you were also kind of in it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we actually all took turns um, being in it. KJ actually, who uh, originally was just a producer, had to step in as an actor at one point, last minute, day of. So. You look scared. This already <laughs> happened, KJ. Yeah, no. It's in the past. And you look scared. Like, I gotta do it again. You had, you had, a, you were looking at the microphone yeah. like, oh god, do I have to do it again? It's a little bit of PTSD. That was yeah. really crazy well, all hands on deck project Wait, well, because what happened was was one of our actresses actually got really sick um yeah. the day of one of our shows and, and she was actually what we called the arbiter and so she was the main girl who you know like she had all of the lines all the lines 95 <laughs> percent of the lines was yeah. just one person and she called in sick that morning so we tried to get our other guy who was playing you know our other arbiter so we had double cast we double cast yeah so. and he couldn't do it and so then we're like who are we gonna get to do it <laughs> 
I'll do it. And so, yeah. Yeah, so then I literally jumped in that day and oh, it, was, it was a lot. No, no, this was this was what went wrong. And apparently that day, that's what went that wrong. That went wrong that day. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, lots of things went wrong with what went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it was it was super charming. Like yeah. I was I was really there was there was a I don't want to spoil the show in case you guys decide to remount it at some point because uh-huh. I think it's it's got enough flexibility to it. Mm-hmm. Um but there was there was a nice turn in the middle of it, like transitioning from a 360 video mm-hmm. uh, which you guys were using you using the Oculus Go. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like you had ported it out to Oculus Go, uh, which had just come out like two weeks before, mm-hmm. right? So you sideloaded some video on. Mm-hmm. And then you had a, a little you had a little a little bit of live component in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that project come together? Was that like a collab with a, a theater company? Because that seems there's something that you guys have been doing of, of late. Yeah, well, so Casey and I had done like a VR immersive hybrid production before, which was kind of our first experiment with combining virtual reality in live theater, and we uh, learned a lot from that project. We learned a lot. <laughs> and uh, we had some <laughs> friends who um, have been doing this project with the cabaret um, at the three clubs who wanted to do a fringe project with us, and uh, one of them actually saw uh, Tripped, which was our VR immersive hybrid production. <laughs> um, and yeah, so they wanted to do another project like that for the Fringe. Um, and yeah, and, and so they approached us and were like, hey, um, we want to do something different, something very similar to mm-hmm. Fringe, kind of like the spiritual sequel to Fringe. Um, and we want to see just what we can do with that. And so then literally all of us, we all kind of got together, we got whiskeys down in, down in Westwood, and we uh-huh. just kind of just talked about what we wanted this to be. Um, and the original idea was for it to be kind of a murder mystery mm. and, and kind of where people can kind of like watch VR headsets and then have a con- like, like the big thing was just what can drive conversation because VR is one of those really cool things that everyone in, the, in one single room can have a different experience all at the same time. So then when you take off your headset, what can you talk about once that headset comes off? And so the, so the idea was maybe a murder mystery. Maybe like one person sees the murder, one person doesn't, one person watches a cat video, and then they all can take their heads off and then they could all talk about it afterwards. Um, but honestly, me, I, I'm always partial to love stories and like romantic comedies and things like that. So I'm like, what if this was like a romantic murder mystery or like a romantic mystery where, so that kind of split like the inception of what went wrong. What went wrong in the relationship and, how, and what can we do to solve it? Nice. And then that, that leads to some fun comedic interactions with performers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what's led you guys down this pathway of, of we'll, we'll get to some of the other stuff you guys did, but, yeah. but, but what's led to this, um, the, the hybrid VR and, and theater stuff and, and live? Theater might not even be the right word yeah. sometimes, like the, the live performances and the, and the VR hybrid. Like what's, what's driving that curiosity? Well, KJ started in VR like two years ago. Yeah, yeah. so pretty much I was graduating college. <laughs> I was freaking out. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Um, and it's just it's not as simple as that. And um, I remember, so I, I can give you the long version if you want it. Hey, the podcast. Yeah, it's a podcast. Let's do it. So I remember. Podcasts are four. So I think it was my junior of college. I was playing a lot of video games. And I remember playing Bioshock Infinite, which is a fantastic game. And there's one character in that game that you could like have a really deep emotional connection with. 
And I remember thinking there's one moment in the DLC where you dance with her. Mm. And I'm like, this is this is a really strange moment because I remember looking into her eyes and actually feeling an emotional connection there. And I'm like, this is a moment that's very interesting that you cannot feel when you're just watching a movie or when you're watching theater or when you're watching just some kind of general medium. It's almost kind of like a first person experience. And so then from that point on, I really wanted to build video games. I'm like, this, this is going to be my thing. I'm going to build video games. And then I realized I had no clue how to do that. Um, I literally zero clue. I did not, I had no clue how to code. I tried taking some 3D modeling classes. That didn't really work very well. Um, so then I stumbled on this thing called VR video or 360 video. And I'm like, well, I know how to use a camera. And like the stitching process isn't that hard. And so let me try and programming to program this 360 video inside of a game engine. And so that, that's kind of how I started to build these kind of like weird pseudo narrative video games with 360 video instead of 3D modeling and things like that. Mm. Um, and so that kind of dived me into the VR world. Um, where I did a lot of marketing activations, actually, because that's, that's where the money is. And so I would do things for Southwest Airlines, I did things for the MLB, um, and I did all this as a vendor for a marketing agency. So it was a lot of fun, and it taught me a lot of cool things. Um, but then sooner or later, um, we wanted to try something else, and we wanted to try to do more creative content. And so then I brought Sarah on, and we built this thing called First Date VR, um, which was a, which was kind of like what I really wanted to build. Um, it was a first-person narrative that actually sat you down with another person across the table, a guy or a girl, depending on who you're into. And I wanted to try to see if you can actually make a connection with eye contact. And, and, and to see if that could actually build an emotional feeling within someone while they're playing it. And then Sarah, I mean, I, I, this is going to sound simple, but it's not mm -hmm. much to be simple. Your biggest intention was, can you make someone laugh while watching VR? Is, is, yeah. is, that, is that fair enough to say? Mm -hmm. Well, there was a lot of, at that point in time, two years ago, <laughs> a lot of like first-person shooters um, in VR. There wasn't a lot of comedies, <laughs> I suppose. Mm -hmm. Like, And it's it's a difficult medium to, to do comedies, and then that's where I like writing. Um, so yeah, that was our first attempt at doing VR content. And it was fun, and, and we premiered it at VRLA, um, and it was almost unanimous praise for it. Um, it got us a lot of fun opportunities. Um, and pretty much from there, we actually hooked up with Tommy and hooked up with guys mm -hmm. like Steve, and, um, and they kind of wanted to know more about what we were doing. And then that kind of, weirdly enough, got us into Think Tank, which then got us into Tripped, which then got us into just, like, it's almost been a weird, tumbleweed of opportunities has kind of been coming our way um, and we're all just trying to figure out like what to do with this next opportunity which at this time is now theater and VR. So on the theater side of things you guys worked, KJ worked as a producer and Sarah as a designer on the production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest yeah. that just took place. So how, what's, what was the origin story there and then you can tell a little bit about what you what you built for, for that show because because, I mean, the set deck on that show mm -hmm. was phenomenal. Like, oh, yeah. utterly yeah. insane. And so, having that to play with. Like, I'm really curious, like, you know, which came first, like, the chicken or the egg <laughs> with that show? Or the next. Or the next. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like you know more about the origin story of the whole project. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I mean, it all kind of started. I, I remember that... You know, well, Graham, who's the lead producer on that project, is actually a really good friend of Sarah's. Yeah. Um, and they went to college together. Oh, I, I, I was there too, but I didn't really hang out with Graham that much. Um, <laughs> well, no, because cause I wasn't in your yeah. guys' crew. Um, and then eventually senior year when we met Graham and things like that. Anyways, um, now 
fast forward two years and we go to one of his shows called Dogfight. And afterwards, we all go get some whiskey, last things do, and for some reason in our world. And, and, and we, and we, we kind of sat around in a circle and talked about what we wanted to do for the next show and how we, like, you know, because for me, I was so hyped up on that show that I knew I had to be a part of it. I'm like, how do I join your crew, bro? And he kind of mentioned to Sarah that, you know, like, hey, we want to try something immersive. And I, I don't really know what that means yet. And his one idea was like wedding singer, but yeah. at a wedding. And, and, and like, and like it, was, it, was, it was just like, you know, like taking a, a regular musical and bringing it to the immersive sphere. And, and his biggest reason for this being was he thought that there's a lot of immersive works out there, but not a ton of them actually have very strong through narratives um, where, you know, they're really good at... at imposing a feeling on a person and imposing a thought on a person but in terms of a beginning middle and end story it's you know it's it's it's, it's not there yet what he believed mm-hmm. um, and so what he wanted to do is he wanted to take the beginning middle and end full story structure and transfer that into an immersive experience which and then one night we all kind of got together again we got a little drunk we talked well, about shows actually the actually the true origin story of cuckoo's nest is we were watching a christmas story okay, a christmas story live on nbc i think it was and it was like that night at four in the morning graham called us and was like i got it cuckoo's nest immersive <laughs> in a hospital everyone's a patient like it writes itself that, that was the true origin was a Christmas story. Yeah. So I, I, <laughs> I gave the, I gave the, the prefix to that. So. <laughs> so I was just jumping ahead, you know, yeah. for so, our listeners here. So so it starts with this idea of like, can we can we adapt an existing work or adapt a musical or adapt a story and like like be narrative focused and immersive. How did how did that sort of evolve into what Cuckoo's Nest wound up being where you, you basically built kind of like a an escape game uh-huh. at the like kind of the reverse of an escape game, more like a, a trap game yeah. uh, at the start of the, the show. And it, it almost functioned like, uh, I'm going to use the technical term here, like a, a, a dumb show, mm-hmm. right? Not in the sense of being stupid, but in the sense of like, you know, you're working through all of the narrative beats or you're working through the thematic beats of the story before you actually do the story. Yeah. And that's kind of how you guys rolled that one down. So how did how did that emerge? Was it... Was it once you knew that you guys were going to build out this really elaborate set, or was, or did it start with, I want to make a story out of the space, so let's build a really elaborate set? Well, it kind of started because we bought the rights to one through the cuckoo's nest, mm-hmm. and um, Graham was very adamant that we don't change the script at all because that would infringe upon rights. And so we had to make an immersive experience around the show in another way. And we kind of wanted to appease, like, the true immersive theater junkies and the traditional theater goers. Um, And we thought that if you just have everyone enter a hospital, a quote-unquote hospital, the set, and sit down and watch a play, even though it's, like, in a site-specific, really cool environment, it's not quite as fulfilling. Especially if you call it Cuckoo's Nest, the immersive experience, it's not super immersive. And so we wanted the pre-show to um, to break it a little bit and offer a little more deep dive of an experience than the show gave because we couldn't break the show that much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and because I mean, you know, kind of like what we mentioned in your review, the, the, the like the title of the immersive experience is such, such a buzzy word these days yeah. that we were very conscious about. Like this, this cannot feel like just a buzzword we tacked onto a show uh-huh. to right. sell more tickets. Like, like we really wanted to build a show that felt like an immersive experience of this show and really earn that title. 
and, and so that's basically what we tasked Sarah to do. Yeah, so the pre-show became our like original content, um, which was fun because we got to develop the backstory a little bit. And um, originally, the task that I was given was that we had an actor who played Ruckley, um, and Ruckley's character in the show is that he's been lobotomized because he used to be like a rough character, which you find out later in the show. But throughout the show, he's just kind of like a vegetable. He like just kind of lies there and drools a lot. Um, and he's like a foreshadow of what's gonna happen to McMurphy. Um, and so our actor who played that character also is one of our bartenders. <laughs> and we, he really wanted to bartend the pre-show. Um, and so we came up with the idea that he would be, uh, he was impersonating a doctor, that our, our bar was themed to be like a pharmacy and he was impersonating a doctor working at this pharmacy and then he would be dragged off and lobotomized because of um, because he was impersonating a doctor. And that was kind of like where the pre-show started, was that's how uh, the pre-show would end and then it would roll into the actual show. Um, and then I got brought on and I wanted to like give more of a reason as to like why he was lobotomized. And so it kind of evolved into the story being, um, he's organizing a patient rebellion. Um, and so that's the finale moment of the pre-show is that he's trying to, is you're solving all these clues which end in Ruckley trying to uh, stage the rebellion and then him getting lobotomized. The show extended a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's got a lot of good buzz. Is the company interested in sort of following up on that at this point? Like, goes coming out of this, you know, talking about, okay, what else can we do? Or was this kind of undertaking like, oh my God, there's so many moving parts? Like, did it, did it intimidate? Or is it inspired? I think I think we're more inspired. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually already in talks. We can't talk about too much right, yet. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, just for fun. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, let's, but, like, let's like make a hypothetical situation. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's see what we can do. A wedding uh, singer, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we can say. I, it's I, not I, wedding singer. <laughs> I, I actually can guarantee you that just by me mentioning that, Graham will get mad at me for saying that. <laughs> it's not wedding singer. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, I mean, but I, I would say, I mean, like, the nice thing about the... Mamma Mia. So, no, it's like, yeah. Mamma Mia in Greece. And then we're going to fly over guests out. It's like fire Festival. People would do it. People would do it. Yeah. People would yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is it? Uh, oh, um, no, and, and so the nice thing that, like, that, that Graham, you know, this is a really testament to our lead producer, Graham. He enjoys doing things very by the book and, and, and very professionally. And so through the entire process, we were very well staffed. Mm -hmm. um, we had, you know, we had 10 or 15 house staff. We had, um, you know, we had a whole line of producers, everything from a sound designer to a lighting designer to this and that to an immersive designer. And so at no, at no point did it ever feel overwhelming for us. Probably for Graham, you know, he probably was very overwhelmed through the entire thing. Yeah. Um, but for us, we, I mean, we felt very comfortable and very, very uh, thought about during the entire process. And so I'd say we're definitely going to the next one more inspired to do something bigger. Yeah. Well, I mean, and definitely you, the attention to detail uh, was, was just obvious. It was like this, mm -hmm. that, the second you walked into this space. It, and I had been in that space before when it was just like yeah. a rehearsal space behind you know, the old get the F out the virus location. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in absolute shock well, when you. I walked through because I was like, holy crap. Like, you just didn't, you didn't even think it could be in there like that. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, gosh, that was just, what, 
May, then yeah, or June. We, we opened previews in May 11th, I think. Right. Was it? So it was May 11th, and then and then there was Fringe, and then and then you just got KJ. You just got back from uh, from Comic Con, mm-hmm. where because you work for Giant Spoon these days. Mm-hmm. So, what what I don't know how much of that stuff you you can talk about, but like you're you're sort of like you guys are like and and Sarah, you're working for Thinkwell mm-hmm. these days. Uh, who just opened up uh, yeah, Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers Dubai, Abu Dhabi? Yeah. Abu Dhabi, right? So, like, you you guys are touching like projects f- like across the spectrum here, from like fringe shows to like you pretty decently capitalized pieces of, of theater, mm-hmm. all the way to like these massive productions. Like, how do you what, how do you guys keep it all straight in your heads? And what kind of perspective does that give you on where this stuff is going? I think that's probably the the, the biggest and most interesting question I can ask you guys because you see you work the spectrum like does it does it feel like there's a momentum around this kind of interactive immersive detailed work um is there is that demand there yeah um so what I kind of call what's going on right now this is just the, uh, this is my elevator pitch um and I, th- I think it's do you ever of... do you ever pitch it in an elevator never mm. I never have because apparently that's the thing now where like people <laughs> actually like practice elevator pitches actually in elevators I don't know it has to be like 11 seconds or something the time that yeah, it takes yeah. to go up an elevator this is much longer than 11 seconds <laughs> <laughs> you have four Fail. floors yeah so. <laughs> but, what, but what I call this is, is like what's going on right now because because you know this better than anyone you're right in the middle of it this this huge immersive boom that's happening right now because literally everyone from Amazon to nobody's are building immersive experiences right now they are. Um, and so what I call this right now is I call this like the anti-Netflix effect. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, everyone these days is just stuck at home, either looking at a computer screen or watching Netflix and going to sleep and doing the same thing the next day. And people kind of want more out of life. You know, at the end of the day, they want to see the shit that Jack Ryan does on screen. So they want to feel like Jack Ryan for a few minutes. And so they go to Comic-Con and play the Jack Ryan experience. And so I think what's happening is people are becoming desperate for new experiences that are beyond just the average, I would say, American range. Where it's like you wake up, you go to work, you come home, you make dinner, and then you go to sleep. And so I think people, um, and also at the end of the day, entertainment is so everywhere that a TV show no longer cuts it and a YouTube video no longer cuts it because back in the day that was like a novel thing but these days the novel thing is, is to take that TV show and bring it out from, from the box and put it all around you yeah. and, and, and so I, I don't think we're anywhere near the end of this boom um, I, I think it's going to continue forward um, for many many more years and you're going to see many more iterations which I think is the question you're asking like when will this stop or like what's the next iteration I mean I'm not necessarily like stop I mean like it was interesting there was a great panel I mean, and thanks to um, thanks to Kara Mandel we got the video up uh, that was at Midsummer this week and you were just watching it where, yeah. where it was like Josh Randall who worked on Castle Rock and David Wally who uh, of Myco2 who who was working on stuff um, at SDCC did the, the he, he worked with you guys the on the, yeah, the Godzilla, you, you Godzilla and, and, yeah. you were, and you were on the Godzilla one mm-hmm. um, and then um, oh my god I'm forgetting your name uh, but the lady from Grand Design who uh, they did the Nibold House uh, Chris Christy, I think is her first name. Ah, damn it. Um, I don't, I don't, go from memory, not show notes. Um, so, the, and, and there was talk there, some really frank talk about just like, you know, how much money was spent yeah. on like getting people through Castle Rock. 
you know, the, the budgets of these things. And someone threw out that something like 50% of the marketing budgets are going to go towards activations like mm-hmm. over the next couple of years. Like that's where they kind of feel that shift is. Now, mind you, it's a panel of a bunch of people who pitch on those things. So they want to like yeah. speak that into being. But there's also about how expensive these things are to, to pull off in the first place. And this sort of, you know, people, everyone's chasing that je ne sais quoi, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, in the inevitable, like, well, what is this thing? Can we stoke FOMO? Can we get someone, can we take an influencer and get them to really start being passionate about this this project? Mm-hmm. And there is that, this desire for something more. I, th- I mean, I think we're in concurrence on this whole, you know, anti-Netflix effect or like, you know, screens used to be the be-all, end-all. And, and now we're starting to see you know, the pushback against that. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the fact that, like, there's all of these theme parks opening mm-hmm. all over the world and that there's, I mean, that the, the, the one that, well, for those who don't know, could you, could you tell people, like, what it was that yeah. Warner Brothers just opened up in Abu Dhabi? Because it's kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just opened, um, I'm, it's either the largest indoor theme park or definitely up there as one of the largest indoor theme parks in Abu Dhabi. It's on Yas Island, and it's kind of combining all the traditional Warner Brothers characters like um, Looney Tunes and Scooby-Doo and um, DC characters. Um, and it's, yeah, it's pretty insane. I think it's one of like the bigger projects over there in um, Abu Dhabi, and it's been doing really well so far. Yeah. No, I mean, just, I mean, it's getting rave reviews yeah. from the theme park, you know. It's folks. very detailed, yeah. Super detailed. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I've been, I've checked out a couple, like, walkthrough videos or, or, like, videos of rides, and just, like, it really seems to capture the vibe of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Almost to level where I was like, well, hey, man, like, why don't we have one of those? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, I love one is, of those over here. Because <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't Six Flags. Like, I think a yeah. lot of people are used to, like, oh, well, like, you know, Six Flags has the Warner character, so you'd see bugs, or you'd see, you know, you go on the Superman coaster or whatnot. But, like, that's a roller coaster that's themed to be Superman. This mm-hmm. is something different. This is the equivalent of a Disney-style or a Universal-style park yeah. with these properties. And it just so happens to be, like, in the middle of one of the hottest deserts on yep. Earth, right? <laughs> so, um, kind, of, kind of mind-boggling. But, but that impulse, or the fact that, like, you know, Shanghai just opened uh, mm-hmm. for Disney or, you know, that they're building out Star Wars land uh, in Anaheim and in Orlando or just all of this renovations in the parks, all these expansions. And the fact that, you know, no matter what happens, no matter how high the annual pass is raised for Disneyland, it, people still buy them en masse and the park's still crowded every damn day. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I'm even just thinking, um, when you brought up Star Wars Land, I mean, we were talking about throughput before we started going on the mic. Yeah. Um, the conversations these days, and, and you know way more, so this is more of a question for you from me. The questions these days from theme parks is not a matter of throughput, it's a matter of customer experience. Everyone wants a deeper experience for the people rather than getting more people through the seats. Am I wrong to say that? Oh, yeah. I mean, people want a more interactive experience nowadays than, than ever before. And people, I think, nowadays want to be part of the story. They less like want to just sit back and let it happen. They want to be a character, which I think is what Star Wars Land is doing, is that they're casting you as you're either dark side or light side, and mm-hmm. which a lot of other lands are doing as well. And also it's creating, it's, it's really, I think theme parks are turning more to immersive theater where it's a connected land, is you want one major story than maybe what Disney did in the past, which is having like 
you know, different blips of stories here and there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of connecting them all. Have you guys gone to Knott's to, like, Ghost Town? Yeah, we yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> it we, was so fun. We had a very intense experience <laughs> yeah. at Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah. It oh. was so funny because we went um, for the whole day, and we pretty much never even left Ghost Town. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, regr- I went, and, like, we left Calico for, for part of the day, and I was almost like, why did we bother to go on a ride? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should have just hung out in Calico. Like, <laughs> it was so fun. Better. Can I tell you what we did? Please. <laughs> this is the long version. Okay. So, so yeah, so the long version. Um, no. So so uh, so I'm gonna make miss update mess up details. Tell if I'm wrong. Anyways, okay. Um, I'll, I'll be there as you're, you're correct. Yeah. So, so so we show up and we talk to the newspaper boy and we're like, so oh, what, what's Calico all about? He, and he gives us a quick rundown and then we meet with our group and then. Pretty much, I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh, and, and then then we kind of like played within the rules of the game for a little mm-hmm. bit. We, we like talked to a few characters. We, we tried like sending a few gossips here and there, and we tried delivering a few things. But then we decided to go ape shit. And <laughs> well, so okay. we we met the matchmaker, the dressmaker slash matchmaker, and she gave us the mission that we had to set up people for the dance that night. That we had to matchmake people. And then we heard through the grapevine, through some of our other friends that were playing the game, that the school teacher didn't have a date that night to the dance, and that she was unsure of, uh, of who she wanted to take. And, um, and then someone kind of threw out, jokingly, well, why don't we have like a bachelor competition uh, and like line up like all of the potential bachelors for her to choose? And then uh, we actually did it. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then we like... The game is really good. Whoever designed it, yeah. you did good. Um, but the game is designed so that it, you can pretty much do whatever you want within the world, and the characters are trained to adjust around you. At least, at least that, that's what we thought it was. Um, and, and so, pretty much, once we got in our head that we wanted to host like, like, a, like, a, like a good old bachelor competition, we actually then talked to every male yeah. in the town, asked them if they were single, and they wanted to go to the dance. The ones who said yes, we said, "Okay, cool, come back at four. And, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and then we, we talked to the school teacher and yeah. said, "Hey, we're hosting this competition." And then we went to the um, the newspaper boy and said, "Hey, we, we have an announcement to make. Can we put it in the paper?" He, for some reason, I said yes. So then it was in the paper that, 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 that said Calico we Bachelor. A, we added an event in the paper. In the paper, <laughs> and, and then and then it got to the point where stage managers from the show were following us around to make sure that we didn't mess any more things up. <laughs> and, 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 and the actors at one point didn't know what to do because they were like, we can't say no to these people, but we don't want to say yes. And, and, and so then all at once for some reason, we had about three actors come up and say, I am getting so much stage fright. I can't go through with this bachelor competition. Can we please have someone go in my place? And they, they all three ran at the same place, all, all at the same time. And what's interesting is that they were there standing at, at the site behind their representatives, but the, the, they, they did the bachelor competition for them. So they got they got random guys to... Yes. Yeah. They, got, they, they got, try to like connect the audience a little yeah. bit more and make them part of make it. Make it more d- democratized. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's yeah. cute. Yeah. yeah, but for the most part, we had everyone show up at the schoolhouse when they shouldn't have by their scripts. They were supposed to be at, you know, at their respective locations, but they all showed up. And we had this impromptu competition within this world. And then actually the characters who we eventually matched up, which was the newspaper boy and the school teacher, they actually came to the dance together in order yeah. to play, play in our game, which was we, we hooked them up via this, this game that we played. 
Yeah, um, so the, the school, the school boy, what the newspaper guy, newspaper, yeah, won the bachelor competition, and so that night at the dance, we got to watch them dance together and walk off arm in arm together. Which and we're like, we did that. Yeah, and, and and just to be clear, none of this was supposed to happen, and none of this was was within their script. <laughs> but 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 I mean, but 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 that and and the interesting thing was is that kept that that one small game that we planned kept our interest for like four yeah. hours. Well, it, it was it kept it, us it, occupied. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! The sheer ca- I, I would love to hear the stage manager's version of that. <laughs> like these two lunatics came <laughs> and they oh. started jacking our game. <laughs> no, no, mind you, there was I think seventeen of us in, in this group, and, and and so all of us. Oh, were yeah, there was, it was a lot. Of us. Yeah, so, this is like a conspiracy. Oh, well, oh no! Yeah. And then meanwhile, there was about five of us handling this game part, and the other twelve of us were actually running around. And then the, there was this mini game within the world mm-hmm. that if you do favors for all these guests, you can actually then get the deeds to their properties and so then for some reason these 12 people then started running around to get to get to get deeds for every single property in town and then also according to this world they also opened up a rooftop saloon and 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 so pretty much just just a bunch of 25 year olds just hacking this game and it was a lot of fun you guys are probably like banned from the (laughs) (laughs) photo for the paper put this in security now (laughs) i feel like this is a game designed for like Young kids to get involved, but it's I so do believe it is. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> and they serve booze and not so. Like, what are they expecting? You yeah. know, like get a boysenberry beer and rewrite yeah. the script. You know? There you go. But um, it was one of the most rewarding theme park experiences that I've ever had ever. because you got to connect with these characters in a really like human way and and create your own story. KJ, you wanted to make video games and you wound up in this space. Sarah, what, what did you intend on doing uh, that landed you here? Oh, man. Well, I, um, I started in theater acting. <laughs> and then um, I wrote a play, which got me into writing and was really rewarding. And then I was like, okay, I want to be a TV writer because playwrights make shit money. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was always my plan was I wanted to graduate from college and go into TV writing um, and eventually move my way up there and like sell some scripts and things like that. And after college, KJ kind of hijacked me into the VR world. And then I was like, well, why be a TV writer when you can write for VR? And then VR kind of went under. And um, and then I actually had a friend who worked at Thinkwell who brought me into the themed entertainment world, which was an industry that I never even knew existed. And so to this day, I tell people that, you know, I write theme parks and museums and they're like, what the hell does that even mean? Um, so, yeah just been a journey yeah no i think that was one of the funny things about moving to la was i mean in the back of your mind if you know that imagineers exist you know that someone creates this stuff Mm -hmm. but you don't think about the fact that like every theme park is written to some degree yeah you know or that museums are are written Mm -hmm. or that it's the same group of people doing that i think that's the one that's weird is that it's the same group of people writing theme parks and museums. Because yeah. I think in all our heads, one is very serious, mm-hmm. and the other is the absolute most frivolous thing there could be. Yeah, and it is kind of funny to group those two together. <laughs> yeah. And and yet it's it's kind of the precursor to all of this, all this immersive stuff. Mm-hmm. Where, now that you're in here, now that you're in this space, well, I guess, like, how... Well, KJ, how did you wind up doing all this activation stuff like how'd you land in in that part of it? so like video games and then you were you 
it was the VR thing, mm-hmm. and now more in the, into the live activation as well, now that you're working in Giant Spoon. So how'd you land there? It's been a weird journey. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, if you told me two years ago that I'd be working for a you know a, a, an experiential marketing company, I would not believe you, you know, because I, I don't know. It's just, I never, I never really saw like, myself a, there. A what company? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so... I, I think the reason I'm at Giant Swim is because uh, cause Sarah pulled me to Westworld. Because cause Sarah heard about through ThinkWell, and Sarah's like, we have to do this Westworld thing. And so we went to South by Southwest and did Westworld, and it was freaking awesome. Um, it was, yeah, it, it, was, it was really quite good. Um, and what pulled me to Giant Spoon, so I think that's the answer. It's like, not what pulled me to Activation, what pulled me to Giant Spoon specifically, is that I, they were the only company that I saw that actually can pay a livable wage and still produce immersive theater. Mm. Um, and, and so I, you know, basically emailed them being like, I love your work. Can I please do it too? And, and, and they actually said yes. And so that's honestly what I'm doing here now, which, which is really kind of silly. Um, but no, I mean like it's, yeah, I, I just think experiential marketing firms are getting to the point where they have to be more like immersive theater in order to stay relevant. Um, which is why I think I'm in that world right now. Where do you, do you see yourselves sticking with this stuff? Right now, like do you, like do, do the old desires like make games and write TV? It's okay if, if the answer is like yeah, I still want to make make TV. Like it's fine. You don't have to like pledge allegiance to immersive right now. That's not yeah. what I'm asking. But like, yeah, what's what's sort of your own relationship to it? Oh man, I, I just kind of go where the wind takes me. And right now, it's uh, it's designing experiences. I think it's like it's really rewarding. I love. I've always loved unique ways of telling stories, um, which is originally what drew me to VR, and now it has drawn me to immersive theater, is um, is just telling cool stories in innovative ways. And right now, I think this is the most innovative way to tell a story. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't see myself getting away from this world anytime soon. Um, yeah, because I think that's what Sarah says. This is a very innovative way of, innovative way of telling stories. Um, I'm frankly at this point, I mean, this is me being on my angry rant, but like, I am becoming increasingly bored with movies and theater. I really am. Um, I, I think that there'd be, they're a very dated way of telling stories. And I think this is going to be the future that people want to see from their stories going forward. It may not be the main income. It may not be the main event, you know, cause right now we're seeing a lot of ancillary content coming from films, but I think it will always have a place in the storytelling realm. Well, it's interesting cause I always look at this stuff as the impact that two generations worth of video games and two generations worth of video games as competition and video games as narrative. Mm-hmm. What that's done to the broad, you know, four quadrant audience in terms of the amount of agency they expect. I think that's why we see people expecting more agency in theme parks. Mm-hmm. Is why people are interested in having agency, and not everyone does, right? Like this isn't. What's interesting is it's not. It's not a one size fits all solution, but there's this unanswered demand. There's this question of, well, if if I can play these stories, if when I play a Batman story, it's more interesting than when I watch a Batman story, mm-hmm. then like, why would I just want to like? go into a space and like see Batman's world. What don't I want to be in Batman's world? Don't I want to have have something to do in Batman's world? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't I want to be Batman? Uh, yeah, the well, answer is yes, but like, <laughs> yeah, I, I would also say that's more of a response to even web 2.0 than gamification. Mm. Um, because because the way the internet works these days is you expect everything you say on the internet to be responded to something. 
you know, so I still have to, if I like cuss out a friend, I expect them to then cuss me back out, you know, five minutes later. Right. Or if I do this, they're going to do that. And and so everyone wants a cause and effect these days. Mm. Every, everything about our lives is cause and effect. Whereas maybe 50 years ago, it was pure consumption. It was pure consumption and maybe talking around about the, around the, the dinner table. But these days, pure consumption isn't even enough. And so I, I think we're just moving from a consumption-centered society to a reactive-centered society where we want everything to react around us. Mm. And I, I think that's more about Web 2.0 than gamifying. I think people today, they just want experiences. That if you, it's harder to get people out, like off of their couch and out doing something. So you need to create an event um, like an immersive theater experience, rather than it's harder to get people to not watch Netflix and to pay $50 for just a straight show where they sit and watch and do a very similar thing. Oh, or even to like go to the IMAX. Like yeah. the other day I was contemplating, you know, Mission Impossible Fallout. And I was like, and people would say like, go see it on the IMAX. Cause I was like, looked it up at Universal and it was almost $30. And mm-hmm. I was like, mm, no, I just, I went to the Vista cause it's nine bucks. Um, and, but that, that impulse there of like, I, I I was at a show the other night. I was at a show, and I did enjoy it more. But like in my head now, like my, my one of my rubrics is uh, I call it the prisoner test. It's like, am I enjoying myself more than I would be if I was watching an episode of The Prisoner, which I'm in the <laughs> middle of right now? Right? Yeah. It's like all, you know, that's got to be a thing. Like like even if I love this stuff, and I do, there's still this. There's all these demands on our time, all these demands on our attention, right? Like mm-hmm. I haven't, I I love reading novels, and I haven't managed to finish a novel this year because mm-hmm. of how much there is to do, and you know, out in the world, and you know, all you know, all the things I have to like make. And so that moment when you're in a in a show, and you're like, God, is this better than? And that's what we're all competing against. But mm-hmm. but on the flip side of it, when it is even just a touch better it's so much better because it's it can be visceral it can be grounded it can be embodied you know mm-hmm. it's like it's it's activating more of the senses so you're like mm-hmm. you're moving through the space and there's you know hidden hidden layers of meaning which is what's fun and that was one of the fun things that you you did with that space for cuckoo's nest mm-hmm. is like i think my favorite thing about that experience was watching people try to get into the nurse's station uh, where there was someone um, there was a, the guy guarding it um, he had his he had his flask of whiskey so like I just picked it up lifted it over my head and started slowly walking it away <laughs> drawing him away so that everyone else and sadly some people yeah. weren't getting it like that it's empty then. and then they started filing in but it was just like oh here we go we're going to distract the guard yeah. in like a really simplistic way mm-hmm. and that was just that was a blast you know yeah. like, like because that was could... yeah that was all my, always my favorite part of watching the pre-show was just seeing all the different ways that people uh, figured out how to get inside the nurse's station and it's funny because when I was designing it, um, I thought I had to tell people to like how to distract the guard, and I was going to write that in the script or like in the experience somehow. But then um, on the first play test, people just like got it instinctively, um, so I left it out. Um, and it's been really fun, or it was really fun to to see all the different ways that they distracted him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think yours is particularly fun too because because yeah. because you gave yourself inherent limitations. Because I, I think with your character, what I noticed was that you, you couldn't talk. I was mute. 
Yeah, you, you, you were mute. Yeah. And, and so how the hell do you distract a guy when you can't talk? Yeah. And, and, and then I, I think you came up with a really fun solution. Yeah. Which, which, and and I'm, I'm really happy because we did not instruct him to follow his whiskey. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he kind of just did it. And so, so I'm really happy he played along. Yeah. Well, because it, it was the one thing I picked up on was he was talking about, you know, his, he was clearly drunk and he was talking about his drink. And I was like, oh, oh that's that's got to be the thing. You know, like, I'm not supposed to have this. Here we go. Um so yeah, like just like and well, that's the fu- then that's where the fun is like um, when you build a sandbox and you can like have emergent gameplay and that's something yeah. slightly different. Say like in in a in a pure puzzle scenario, and that's that can be funny because some people are really into puzzle solving and they want to find the answer. Mm-hmm. But in a sandbox, which is what you at that moment in particular yeah. gave you a sandbox, like there is no answer. Answer. There's just pathways to solutions, and that allows you to express yourself. Like, how you solve a problem mm-hmm. is a form of expression. And that kind of gets to your reaction uh, you know, point, where so much of this is a, as much about people, about the, the audience, the participants, expressing themselves mm-hmm. as it is taking in what's being expressed. Yeah. Yeah. And to kind of go off your point about the sandbox narrative, um, which is something that I, I don't know whose idea was it for Cuckoo. I think it was your idea for Cuckoo's to do a sandbox narrative. Yeah, well, actually, the format of the pre-show of Cuckoo's Nest came off of uh, two experiences in particular, one of which was Westworld, mm-hmm. and the other of which was uh, Secret Cinema, mm. uh, because both of them uh, was like a sandbox experience with different activities that you could do, and one kind of hidden or not hidden mission that you could follow. So or More it, opt-in mission. Opt-in, yeah, yeah. The, the word yeah. I was looking for. Um, because we wanted to attract, you know, the immersive community and the traditional community. And we knew that the more traditional people, like, would, were going to be more hesitant about doing, like, an escape room kind of a thing. And so they were going to maybe, we had, like, Dick Van Dyke, like, playing on a TV somewhere that they could watch or, like, they could read some magazines. Like, you didn't have to participate and you didn't have to talk with the actors because not everyone is comfortable with that. Um, and we also had board games. We had things like that. And we, we had stuff for you to do. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't know, the game. Yeah, and in the theme park world, you, you define it as, like, waiters, swimmers, and mermaids, right? Yeah, actually, yeah. the way that I wrote the experience is, and think we'll use the term waiters, swimmers, divers, and deep divers, and mer people. Um, and that describes the way people interact with an experience on different levels. And so I wrote an experience kind of for each of those levels to make sure that there was something to do for everyone of all comfort levels. Because um, my goal really with the pre-show is making sure that people don't just sit down for an hour and wait for the show to start. We really wanted people to interact with the space and like just uh, discover like all the different parts. And, and really the goal of the pre-show was to get to know the characters so that when you saw the show that you mm. like felt a deeper connection with it and you were more involved in the story because you really felt for McMurphy or for uh, Turkle or the other characters that were involved. How do the actors feel about about that, about being part of that process? It was funny because I think maybe one of our actors was had done immersive theater before, right? Yeah, no, it was Megan. Yeah. She, she had done Me or You, what was it called? The, the, the $5,000 yeah. show. Oh, yeah. That was one of the that was one of the nurses. Yeah. So uh, okay, yes. yeah, yeah. I thought one of them looked kind of familiar. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. She, she was in you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So only one of our actors was familiar with it. Um, so it was it it was a learning curve definitely, but throughout the whole process, they had they always kind of uh, they all read the book, um, and we during rehearsal they had periods where it was just pure improv to like. Mm 
be comfortable with with speaking freely off the script uh, just from their own character um so and it was kind of my first experience like directing mm-hmm. <laughs> like an immersive pre-show so it was an experience for both of us um so but they caught on pretty quick they knew their characters well enough and i gave each of them a mission and they each had a role to play um and so kind of as the show progressed and you know going from previews into closing they definitely like evolved a lot and kind of learned new techniques um how, how long did you have to put that together? I think it was two weeks. <laughs> two weeks? Well, oh, two weeks for the immersive aspect of it. Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. Sorry, for, it was time for, for pre-show. For the, the entire design process, we had about a month of build. Right. And then we had about a month of rehearsal before build started. So about right. two about two, two months. We started rehearsing the pre-show, I think it was... Two weeks before opening. Yeah, it was wow. very short. <laughs> yeah. And um, I wow. think we, we only did ever did one play test before previews. And it was a non-tech playtest with no actors. Oh, it's... Um, it, it was, <laughs> and it, we still changed a lot before previews. Yeah, no. Um, well, yeah, because at one point... So so for the playtest, we basically, we basically playtested it as everyone does with pieces of paper. And you had to walk these yeah. pieces of paper around it wherever you needed to go. And that kind of unlocked things for you. Um, but then pretty much the day before... I mean, pretty much the week before press opening, which, which, which is when you came, um, you rewrote the entire pre-show. Yeah, the pre-show completely changed... Um, from the first weekend of previews to the second weekend of previews. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like total revamp because originally it was three steps um, and there was two quote-unquote finales. Um, so you either ended in the nurse's station or you ended in chief's closet, which you still got the prescription, which led you to Rockley. But right. it was very short and very minimal because it was just supposed to be like an add-on. Um it, yeah, it wasn't super involved. And then we discovered that people wanted more. That was like our biggest note from the playtest was that people wanted more of a game. And yeah. so we totally hijacked it for the next weekend and really threw our actors for a loop. But Yeah, and, and it went from a two-part, like a two-half, three-step process to a one-and-a-half step, five-step process, essentially. It's, it's kind of the way I'm imagining in my head. Yeah, so instead of two, you, you collapse the tracks into one track. Yeah. Into one track. That yeah. rather, rather than being three long, it was five long. Right. Uh-huh. In, in, in terms of stops. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is we wanted the ending to be rewarding, and I my biggest thing is I always wanted it to be story-driven, is because yeah. I always hate, like, frivolous puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, so we wanted that moment of getting directly and, like, being a part of the rebellion uh, to be... Yeah, to be more of a reward. And even, like, um, the way that the show ended, or the, how the pre-show ended, was that um, you go, you talk to Ruckley, he gives you, like, a napkin that says down with the big nurse, and then um, when the finale comes and you're kind of cued to do so, you join him in the middle and you wave around your napkin saying, down with the big nurse. That was even, we, like, added that later in. It was originally you just got your napkin, and then when the finale came, you kind of chanted along. Well, um, and... And, and, and this might, I'm just thinking now, this might be a good way to tie both the experiences together, I'm thinking in my head, um, because with that napkin, you'd be surprised how 
powerful people became with that napkin because because as, as soon as they knew their role in the world and then they were clued in on, on a special event that might happen within the world and then that special event happened they were like i know my place i know what i'm gonna do next and all of them started cheering we, we had some nights where like like a small riot happened people like ran oh to the gosh, middle yeah. middle and started like jumping up and down i mean people were really clued in and people really got into this small moment of just cheering and waving a napkin and it was a lot of fun to see every night um, and, and I think the reason why I say, I say that ties back to what went wrong, both the experiences, is because that's kind of what we discovered with what went wrong. We kind of stumbled upon that, is that our biggest concern, at least my biggest concern, was will anyone talk about this? Like, like talk, once, once they take the headsets off, what's prompted them to say something? Because, right. like, like, you know, they could just sit there and say nothing, and the show will still go on, and they will still feel none, and, and whatever. But what we found is by giving them a very specific role, you are an employee or a consultant here for the day, mm -hmm. and then giving them information to execute that role, they then felt empowered to take the next step and, and, and actually become a part of the show, mm -hmm. yeah. which, which, which is kind of two things. And there's one gent, he gave a master class here a couple weeks ago, and he kind of tells it's it's the idea of an interactor. Uh, Jeff Worth. Jeff yeah. Worth, yeah. yeah. Um, no, and, and yeah, and I, we, he told us about it, and we said, yes, that sounds great, but then by doing both these shows, we kind of learned more about that idea accidentally both times, which, yeah. was, which was a lot of fun. Well, when, mm -hmm. when, you, when you endow the audience with a role, and, and it's clear, right? Mm -hmm. like what's kind of fun is like you, you can give them just a very small thing and then they'll bring themselves to it, mm -hmm. right? They'll embellish. They'll go far. Sometimes they'll go even like too far. Yeah. They sometimes I don't know. They'll they'll go into the ghost town and they'll throw like a bachelor auction. Yeah. You know, just little things <laughs> like little things like that, right? You know, like don't know where that came from, but uh, but that's the thing, right? It's like you 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 give people. You give people sort of the, the user interface, yep. and then what's what's fun is because it is people, like you can start coloring outside the lines, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and when it's done in creative and fun play, it's like that's great. And then sometimes people start coloring outside the lines, like whoa, 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 that's 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 not the game anymore. Yeah. But um, but that's but you do need that anchor back, right? Mm -hmm. It's like all the napkin, right? You know, like come back to this thing, and then people bring the emotion to it. I mean, one of the things I think that's interesting about immersive, uh, like the, all this interactive stuff, like the whole discipline, is when things are, you know, something might not necessarily have to be narratively interactive, in, in that you might not have any agency there, but if things, if you have emotional agency, if you mm -hmm. have emotional interactivity, like that, that feels to me like what the end goal is, right? It's like you're, you're setting a tone, you're creating a feeling and you're you're getting people to feel something at the end of the day, mm -hmm. and not just in the sense of having received the feeling, but having processed the feeling, having had it well up within them, and then do something with that feeling, like actual catharsis, right? Mm -hmm. Like getting it getting it through and out of your body, yeah. right? Without the the literal catharsis of you know beating a goat, like we don't we don't want to <laughs> beat goats. Um, for those who don't know their theater history, catharsis, and originally meant. Um, so, <laughs> look it up. It's true. It's true. It's true. I'm not making. I'm not a weirdo. I have a degree in theater, um, which means I'm a weirdo, but um, but a professional one. So, uh, but that's that. This is what, 
and this is why I feel like I'm always comfortable talking about this as theater is that that's the goal of theater is to get to that catharsis. Mm-hmm. And this is what that allows. And mm-hmm. to allow people not just to sort of passively watch characters and live vicariously, but to take that step past vicarious mm-hmm. into active, still fictional, but active. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I got to say, like, what the the moments that you guys crafted in... In both of these pieces, um, they were definitely cathartic, right? Like getting getting to be part of that revolt, and then how that echoed towards the end of the show, or during the turn and the reveal in what went wrong, and when you started to get to like you know play a little deeper into the world, mm-hmm. and and getting to getting to interact with the characters who had the most at stakes uh, in that was just absolutely delightful particularly because at this point you have almost all the power mm-hmm. and you can do whatever you want in that mm-hmm. moment um, you know within reason and just watching them react to you is yeah. fantastic you guys said you double cast that so did you also yeah. the couples were also double cast so mm-hmm. d- both yep. videos there was like wow. four different options of oh, couples wow. <laughs> yeah well no I mean but, but going back to your point um, it, it was it was going like catharsis being in theater yeah. um, it, it was it was interesting because a lot of you can tell like a lot of these people that were in this experience were almost using this experience to talk through their own issues yeah. and, and their own emotions mm-hmm. um, we had a couple of participants who got really emotional uh-huh. um, especially towards Nick because they just thought he was a total douchebag um, yeah <laughs> and, and people and, like had past relationships that were a little like too close to home that was like very similar to what they saw that yeah. got very so, so folks know we are talking about what went wrong oh yeah i'm yeah. sorry yeah. no 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 it's cool <laughs> that's, that's the thing yeah <laughs> yeah no yeah and what went wrong yeah people yeah, pe- people really used it to really get out some of the feelings that they had inside and it, it was really really fun to watch um but yeah we, we double casted it and we had about 16 different or 16 different vr videos that we played within your headset depending on which, which couple you were watching oh, wow. um and so, so for those home players um, one half of the group was watching from the girl's point of view, watching Nick, the actor, or the other half was watching the boy's point of view for uh, for the girl, the actor, for uh, Shelby, the actor. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then for every couple, we actually had a different video. So, for example, we had Nick, we had actor one's voice, actor two's voice, actor three's voice, actor four's voice, and then we had to mix and match them every night, depending on which cast we were playing that night. Oh, well, that's and that's right because like you you. Okay, that makes total sense. Because there yeah. was the voice yeah. that was in your head, which yeah. was your memory. Which, which is literally, so you, so you shoot four videos, and then you four, you shoot four different actors for each one, yep. and then you and you dub four different actors to each video. Yeah, that makes sense. So is, it, is it eight videos? I don't know. We have yeah. we, we a lot of videos. We have a videos. lot of videos. More well, than I wanted. Too yeah. many. <laughs> yeah. And it, got, it got to the point where every night, I think, uh, almost every night before we went on, I was editing videos. He was always a mad dash. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> always fun when you involve VR into a production. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Just adding that extra tech element is just another level of headache sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's all, this is the thing, it's all new stuff, right? Yeah. One day it'll be as simple as, like, you hit two buttons on your phone and uh, it's done. Right? Well, I mean, this is already infinitely was easier than Tripped, which was our previous VR production, because you had phones involved. Because um, mm. the headsets couldn't operate by themselves. You had to have a phone that you put into the headset and it would work all the, the time the oculus go in itself made itself made it easier oh yeah well, that's that's gonna that's already changing yeah a, a fair amount of things like i can i can feel that coming down the pike right like oh and the fact that like you can get the willows on it and like delusions about to be on the go mm-hmm. like it's like there's there's reasons to own it now 
So, all right. Well, anything immediately on the horizon for you two, or are you going to take a little break uh, here at the end of the summer since you're working so hard? Um, I mean, I don't know what we can talk about. <laughs> I, mean, I have lots of ideas that I'd love to uh, to flesh out. And Giant's Moon got me busy. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I can't really talk about anything working on there right now. Yeah. Um, Obvs. I know. Obvs. Yeah. But yeah, we, it's about 8 a.m. till about 7 p.m. every night. I'm just getting this <laughs> shit together. And it's, it, it is a lot. But, but I'm excited because they really are a voice, I think, in the immersive world coming forward. Because cause they, they are trying new things that even some, some immersive companies aren't doing, which is a lot of fun. All right. Well, we'll have to dive deeper there soon. Yeah. All right, wait, wait, oh. oh. Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I can't talk about anything. <laughs> I think, well, either talk to me in five years. Is that Dave Cobb? He's come for you. He's so. still in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, KJ, Sarah, thank you for dropping by the apartment. Yeah. yeah thanks, thank for, thanks for having us. Fun. Hell yeah. again want to thank KJ Nice and Sarah Beal for being our guests on the show today. Uh, hey, um, gosh, what to, what to say, what to do, what to talk about. Um, I got to check out press preview night for Kate Lane's bedroom play last night. Um, so this is sort of the spiritual sequel to Snow Fridge in that it is another, uh, you know, improvised is almost the wrong it's it's sort of a non-narrative lightly scripted piece that's really look if you read a review you'll see it's magic what it is and i don't mean magic with a c it's not stage magic which is cool hey hey you know i i love black rabbit rose uh you know uh no objections if someone wants to like you know go to the go to the magic castle Totally cool with stage magic. Really like it. Would like to see Penn and Teller, you know, one day live. Sad that I missed in and of itself. But um, the magic I'm interested in the most is, uh, you know, the art and science of change. Magic with a K. Um, now, we could get into it about, you know, is it is it supernatural? Is it psychological? Um, that doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and honestly, most of the time doesn't matter because there's a principle at work underneath it, uh, called sleight of mind. Uh, and from my own experience, uh, I know that if you, if you do it right, if you do certain things right, you can affect personal change. Um, you, you can't necessarily, you know, throw fireballs. Notice I said necessarily. Uh, you can't necessarily create those effects, but you can create psychological change within yourself that be- creates behavioral change within yourself, um, and that's something that uh, we just we just know to you know like with behavioral therapy and a few other things. That's that's just true. So th- you can think of it as uh, another form of that. Uh, beyond that, I cannot uh, attest to it. But there's some powerful psychological, and, and these are artistic psychological forces at work, and. The, the lovely thing about Kate Lane, and she's, she's a friend, uh, the lovely thing about Kate Lane is that she just sort of exists in that spectrum of the world, right? Like, uh, I refer to it as Kate space. There's just, and, and bedroom play is about literally entering into Kate space. So you physically enter into Kate space 
And with that comes the mentally entering indicate space. Just to be clear, you know, if you're, if you're a, a, if your thing is story, if you're a, a dedicated materialist, if you have a high resistance to things of woo, you might go into this and be like, oh, bleh, bleh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a weird girl and saying stuff to me. And then, you know, there were crystals. Um, so, you know, like, look at, look at the stuff that's talked about and be like, oh, eh, this problem's probably not for me. But if you were the kind of person who gets choked up watching Labyrinth, let's say, uh, like this guy right here who may or may not own it on vinyl, uh, meaning the soundtrack and also like, you know, some of there's a VHS as well as the Blu-ray. Um, if you're that kind of person, um, this is a very singular experience. It is really about, about kind of getting a, a pure, undistilled, uncut experience of an artist's soul. And in that, finding ways to, um, you get to sort of reflect on yourself um, there's a lot of like non-dual action going on here in that piece and it's short and it's sweet and, uh, and then it's done and you sort of have these, you know, talismans, uh, or, or a talisman you kind of walk away with. Um, I don't want to say more than that because I don't feel like spoiling any of the surprises for those of you who might enjoy such a thing. It's almost sold out. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it might be sold out. It's got a limited run. Uh, it's at a private residential space and you know, they're not going to be able to do it forever. But, uh, and, and honestly, I think it'd be really hard for it to travel, but as part of the arc of, of creation that this, this sort of solo and collaborative journey that Kate's going on, I think this is a rather exciting space for her to be in. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where, where her, where this part of her career takes her. Because those of you who've, you know, kind of chance to see her in shows know that, that there's, there's, there's few people who are as present as a performer in a show as Kate. Okay. Um, it can be, it can be weird even sometimes talking about shows where there's like, you know, 35 people at most are going to get to see it. Right. Like this is, this is sort of the crisis that our, our, our world lives in because there are these great forces. You know, we were just talking with KJ and Sarah who work on these massive projects and also these little projects and finding ways to navigate in this space and to just connect the dots, connect the people who are making big, um, big activations for corporate and entertainment clients, um, connecting them with folks who are making mid-sized stuff, getting the folks who are making small stuff to be able to scale up to mid-sized stuff. This is still the work that we have to do. Uh, we're far from it. People are still operating at the level of indie creators. Uh, it still takes a village sometimes to get a show up on its feet. Um, we're we're still in the salad days, uh, as it were, uh, which, you know technically means you know the the happy carefree days but also like the days when all you could afford was a salad although i guess these days salads are really expensive but like you know look that's beside the point let's not worry about the metaphors let's worry about this we're about to enter into some of the busiest seasons of the year 
Uh, this is true all over. Los Angeles, of course, has a major Halloween thing. We, I call it spooky season. Chicago's got a bunch of stuff going on this Halloween that's immersive and interactive. There's there's puppet based things. There's a few other shows. It's getting kind of kind of hot over there. Denver's got more and more going on. Um, definitely, as as people you know want to put on put on their Sunday best to make sure that everyone knows, like, hey, you know, it's not just that Meow Wolf's arriving. We've got stuff going on here. That's really exciting. There's a group called Dial in Denver, that's sort of a, a cousin to Los Angeles's Leia. Hey, Charlie and everyone. Um, there's a lot going on, and I want to appeal to you, the audience, for this stuff to help get the word out and help get new blood in, new folks, new people. Um, This cannot be a hermetically sealed system if it's going to be sustainable. That's really what it's about in the long run. Okay, we want to have these these beautiful gems that only a few people maybe ever get a chance to see because artists are playing and and experimenting and exploring like we 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 need that almost emotionally to have that sort of stuff going on, whether that's magical stuff like what Kate's doing with bedroom play, whether it's the kind of one on one stuff that's happening in Chicago um, or, you know, the, on the, on the, you know, kind of deep, dark, you know, extreme horror side, like we want all of that stuff to be going on and to be sustainable. And that means getting a bigger audience for everything, right? So think about what you can do to get some more folks into this stuff. Think about, you know, this is where it gets dumb. You know, who's got a big platform that, you know, folks are looking for it. And there's a lot about educating the audiences. Like we know people come in first time and they don't necessarily know what they're doing and it can get disruptive and that's annoying. So when you bring folks like don't don't freak out and don't not bring folks because they might do that. But just, you know, inform your friends, you know, let them know it's a dance and they got to learn the steps. Find that that's the best metaphor to help people out with this stuff. This is a dance. And you don't know the steps. So let them lead you. And you're good to go. I just winked at you, by the way. Um, <laughs> we really we really don't want this to be videoed. Because cause then I'd have to shower before I do the show. No, I did. I did this, this week anyway. Um, okay, that's enough. Um, that's enough for now. I gotta hit the road. Um, I'll be seeing you all uh, in the not too distant future. Let's do the standard stuff we do all the time. Oh, and if you're in Los Angeles, uh, keep an eye out because um, uh, Two Bit Circus is going to be soft opening in September, and it's going to be fun. And they got a deal right now. They've got like basically a two for one deal on their game cards. So uh, fifty bucks worth of value for twenty five dollars. No, we are not getting paid to tell you that. I just wanted everybody to know because I have um, maybe I've I've been inside their facility and maybe um maybe maybe I'm I'm gonna do that myself. There you go. I think I don't think that uh, I don't think that's gonna get me in trouble. Okay. Um, it's funny how NDAs work. You say something nice, no one cares. I mean, look at what's going on with La Marosa. Um, whenever it's something nice, the president actually goes like, thank you. It's like, dude. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's not go there. I really wish I hadn't even for a half a second because uh, this is our space, not not theirs. I love you. Um <laughs>
The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, Ari Herstan, and Sam Kinkin and Ross Sigworth. You can contact us at No Persinium on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, you can find me at Noah J. Nelson on Twitter. You can write uh, pitches to us at pitches at nopersinium.com. Uh, you can also look for our Airtable submissions form, which we'll try and make it easier to find in the long run. Sorry, it can't just be in the uh, header of the website, which is nopersinium.com. The Facebook group is Everything Immersive, which can be reached by searching that on Facebook or by going to everythingimmersive.com, which redirects the Patreon, where you give us money, is patreon.com slash nopersinium, and I can be reached at noah at nopersinium.com. If I just say nopersinium like six more times, do you think I'm still reading addresses? Probably. Oh, at underscore no persinium is uh, at no underscore persinium is our Instagram. Sorry, Catherine, I didn't mean to get it wrong. As always, we are brought to you in part by our friends at Meow Wolf. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show.